I learned at that age, what does it take to be the best at anything you choose to do? And that's 110%, right? And as for me as a 13, I didn't do the parties or whatever friends or whatever most teenagers do. I, you know, I did correspondence and I didn't train seven days a week, twice a day. I trained seven days a week, three times a day. But by following that principle, lasering in and focus 110%, you know, I was a provincial champion, two-time national champion, North American champion. And as Alan Chen predicted, at the age of 17 years old, I was undefeated champion of the world. And that's what I learned. What does it take to be the best at anything you choose to do? That's 110%. Welcome, friends, to Intersections, where inner mastery meets outer impact, where our quest is to explore the highest in human potential by dissolving boundaries between the spiritual and the material, between the inner and the outer, between East and West and beyond. Today, we have in our midst Leah Goldstein, who is a tremendous force of nature, as you will discover, an internationally known ultra-endurance athlete and professional cyclist. She is the first female in the 40-year history of RAM, Race Across America, to win first place overall in the solo division. This is one of the toughest endurance events in the world. And earlier in her life, as a teenager, she has been a champion nationally and internationally in taekwondo and kickboxing. She's also served in the Israeli military, where she has trained elite commanders and perfected the art of pushing past physical boundaries. She fought her way into a very male-oriented special ops police course and eventually into Israel's undercover police unit, where she was combating terrorists and violent crimes. She has written her autobiography, no Limits. Uh, she is the speaker and co-founder of No Finish Line Living, where she provides customizable keynotes and retreats dedicated to moving others into a healthy and purposeful life. So there is much that we have to uncover with Leah. And so let me invite her into our midst. Leah, warm welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. What a life. What a life. <laughs> you know, and it's still unfolding in its, all its rich ways. I, I have to make a confession to you. Pretty early in my life, I hadn't yet decided what I want to be when I grow up. But for some reason, I decided that one of the careers I was not going to pursue was the military. Right. And then sports. You know, I uh, was passionate about cricket, you know, which is a big sport in India. Yeah, but I but I really struggled with developing any real competence, you know, in it. And so here you are, you know, I'm speaking to somebody who who um, has done such incredible things in the service of, you know, defense and be, being in the military, and also who has pursued such incredible excellence in a domain of life that I can only admire from a healthy distance. <laughs> so 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 I'm in awe, you know, of, of you Thank and you. of this. Moment. <laughs> I thought maybe we could start by inviting you to reflect a little bit on your roots. And I wonder if, as you look back at your childhood, you know, there might be certain defining moments or people in your life, parents and beyond, who you could point to and say, you know what, that really was a major like influence in my life. Like I woke up to new potentialities or possibilities or an understanding of me because I went through that experience. Um, I think, well, my background actually is very important. And my biggest influences are obviously my parents. Like my my father, my parents, well, my mother is, was born in Northern China and my father in the Soviet Union. They met in Israel. When my father was a sailor, he docked in Vancouver, Canada, and he just saw opportunity there. They were both very young, you know, under 20. So they immigrated. My sister was three. You know, I was made in Israel, born in Canada. So I was in the oven and my dad came here with a hundred bucks right? No English at all. And he was just determined to have a better life for his family, you know? And so growing up and seeing how hard my parents work, like my mom worked the night shift as a nurse, my dad during the day, and how we got work was just going to different companies in Vancouver and says work. That was the only English he need, knew. I, I need work, right? And kind of watching that and how my parents struggled. I mean, at one point, you know, they had succeeded, bought three houses and we lived in a big house. And all of a sudden my dad lost everything going back to rock bottom and then building back up again and just seeing my parents have never given up no matter what, 
you know, no matter what happens in life, you don't give up because quitting is never an option, you know, based in the, in, in the world that I lived in. So when you're, you know, when you're raised with that kind of mentality and that kind of leadership from my parents creates a strong you know, individual. And my father also, you know, he never coddled my sister and I, like when we were in trouble or, you know, in a, in a difficult situation, he says, you got to figure things out for yourself. You can't always run to people when things go south, right? Because if you get used to that, one day you're going to run and there's nobody there to, to help you out. So, you know, just being independent in that regard started at a very young age. That's kind of where my strong foundations you know, stem from. Yeah. Wow. That's um, quite a lesson there for us about how to parent really in some of the yeah. ways in which your uh, father and mother raised you and how in a time when we are at times, you know, feeling very protective about ourselves and others and mental health, for example, is one reason for that. Like people are just feeling the need to uh, just caution the world that, you know, don't expose me to this or to that because right. that can tr trigger me. You're actually saying that you feel that there was a certain amount of strength you gained from Absolutely. having your parents just be comfortable and saying, listen, face the world, face yeah. the imperfections of the world and yeah. learn to strengthen yourself from within. Exactly. Like learning at a young age, you know, what does it feel like to fail, right? That doesn't mean it's the end. You have to learn that, you know, failure is part of success. If you don't have the ability to fail, then, you know, succeeding will be very difficult because a lot of times with people who have succeeded, you only hear the good story. You don't really hear the backstory of what, you know, the struggle they went through and, you know, how many times they were rejected and whatnot, right? So I learned that at a very young age, right? I mean, obviously with, you know, with me, if, you know, when people know my stories, I was bullied at a very young age because I didn't know English very well. I spoke with a lisp. Learning was difficult for me. I had a little bit of a learning disability, put in a special class. And on the physical side, my left leg was growing at a faster rate than my right leg it's longer it's stronger the foot is bigger so doctors told my parents that I'd never excel you know in sports or anything in athleticism which was confusing for me as a child because it was the only subject that I got an A in so you know you know when you're different kids can be cruel so I was bullied and every lunch hour I was chased by a group of eight boys you know called the you know the Jason gang and I couldn't tell my parents because again my father implemented to me and to my sister you have to be strong independent figure it out And also back then, teachers said, you know, you don't want to tattletale. So at that age, I had to learn at seven years old, how am I going to get out of this, right? And, you know, my, of course, I saw Bruce Lee on television, and that was kind of my solution. <laughs> The Bruce Lee moment. Yeah, that is beautiful. I have such fond memories of, uh, of him as well from Enter the Dragon and, yes. you know, all of that, right? Like, <laughs> He was, he was quite a figure. He was quite a figure. And um, I was so happy to hear about how much he has uh, positively influenced you at that age. So, But in those moments, uh, yeah, when these things are happening, you know, there is at times a prevailing sort of mindset, right? And on people that these things should beat you up or that, well, if that's what the expert says about, you know, your lack of capacity to pursue, you know, athleticism, well, then that's bad news for you and all that. How did you or where did you develop this capacity in yourself from? where you could pull away from those kinds of limiting mindsets and beliefs that may be percolating around you and choose for yourself, right? A destiny and a set of actions operate out of the box, choose to create the intention for yourself that even if I'm being put in a special education class, that there's no reason why I can't with, you know, effort, toil, or et cetera, you know, overcome whatever it is that the world is telling me are my liabilities. Well, I mean, for me, we'll go back to the martial arts. And it wasn't like the physical part that helped me and really gave me the confidence. It was the mental strength. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when you go into a dog park and you see this big dog with its tail between its leg and this little chihuahua comes and sparking at him, right? It's that confidence, right? So because I'm, I wasn't afraid anymore, there's something about, you know, the self-defense that gave me that that strength, you know, kind of to stand up for myself. And then I felt really powerful because I never had to get into a fight because it wasn't the physical part. It was the mental part that was lacking. Right. And then I realized a lot of times, you know, we want validations from others when we're seeking things to kind of to boost us or to, to lift our spirits, but really it comes from you. Right. And then I realized that mental strength is much more powerful than physical strength in anything, in any genre, not just in sport, but in arts, music, entertainment, whatever it may be. Um, is going in there and believing yourself and, you know, your biggest support system is you and believing that you can do anything once you set your mind to it. And I kind of lived my life throughout the different careers that I've done with that kind of mentality. There is uh, 
such a, I think, testimony in your story about how to just uh, break out of bounds, right? Just, I mean, it's incredible. You entered, you know, uh, professional cycling at an age and stage, which is uh, typically a little bit on the later side. You then entered the ultra endurance kind of, you know, sport and then uh, raced across America and won at, uh, you know, at a more mature age, you know, for an athlete, right? I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Like this ageism kind of aspect of needing to challenge what might be stereotypical notions of what people can achieve at a certain age? Well, absolutely. I mean, I got shunned. Like when I left, it was called the Belush. It was a spying agency that I, because my, my, I mean, I knew what I wanted to do at a very young age. It was, you know, to work at some form of security in Israel. But as the years progressed and I got into my thirties, I realized that that wasn't my passion. I was an athlete and I wanted to pursue a cycling career because I thought I was good enough, you know? So when a situation happened, it was a security situation that happened that allowed me to leave the country. And I came back to North America around 31, 30. And I just dove into the sport and the Federation basically said, you know, you're too old. You basically missed the boat. You know, I was, they said I was too big for climbing, too small for sprinting, that this career would never happen for you. And, you know, it was a struggle. I have to admit that, you know, I didn't realize, you know, in Israel, I was a big fish in a very small pond and I come to North America and I'm a shrimp in an ocean. But I mean, I proved in the sport of pro racing, which took me eight years to excel that, you know, you don't need a special gift in anything you choose to do. It doesn't matter what you do because there's a gift all of us have and it's called the gift of work. Right. And, you know, I basically took that gift I had and I knew that I had to work twice as hard as my competitors if I wanted to pursue this career. And everything started upstairs. Right. Because, you know, as I was struggling, you know, my teammates were saying, you know, maybe you should, you know, think about just riding, you know, as an age group, you know, before you end up homeless, you know, kind of trying to pursue this thing that people saw it only as a dream for me. Right. But, you know, at, at 38 years old, I said, no, this is what I want. And so I kind of shifted my, you know, what was going on upstairs saying, I'm going to become this climber. I'm going to become this great cyclist. And that's exactly what happened that following year. And it was just a matter of switching what was going on upstairs and working, as I said, twice as hard than what I was previous. Because sometimes we think we're working hard enough, but we're not, right? And for me, it was 110%. It was lasering in, putting everything else on a shelf and doing what my passion was. If I wanted to pursue this as a career. There's an earlier juncture where you also give us a little bit of a glimpse into what discipline and hard work means to you. And this is when you're in school, you're being bullied, you see the Bruce Lee thing, and then you get invested in wanting to do something more kind of, you know, help affirm and assert, you know, your your physical you know, strength and prowess, right? Can you talk about that moment where the coach sort of like... Uh, gives you a little bit of a formula for what it is that, you know, he's expecting you to take on if you so choose to, or if you don't, then you can walk away. Right. Well, I mean, you know, when I got into the Taekwondo, when I saw the Bruce Lee, when I was young, right, I excelled very fast, right? You know, by the time I was 12 years old, I was a junior national champion. And part of the reason why is because my father was a champion in the sport of boxing. So when he saw my interest in Taekwondo, he started to teach me boxing. Um, so you mix Taekwondo and boxing, get more of a kickboxer. So at that time, and also at that time, boys and girls fight together, right? And so I kind of, you know, had this little bit of a big head. So when I went, you know, to for in a kickboxing series, I went to look for something that was more challenging for me. And that's where Alan Chang, you know, he saw a very talented kid, a little kid with too much confidence, a little bit on the cocky side. He wanted to teach me a lesson, right? So at that point, he puts me into a boxing ring. He brings in this kid half my size and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to kill him, right? But I didn't know it was his most skilled kickboxer. And then make a long story short, he basically beats me up a little bit, right? So he sends me home and he goes, you think about it. Think about it, right? Um, so and then I'm totally deflated. And so what he what he was trying to say is, you know, whenever you're at the top of your game and no matter what you're doing, all that means is you're working twice as hard to stay there. It's never, ever overestimate yourself or underestimate anyone because everybody is beatable. And then he says to me, I mean, he sat me down. Remember, I'm like barely 12 years old. He says, you want to do this sport? Then he gives me these conditions, no smoking, no drinking, no drugs, no friends, no swear, train seven days a week, train twice a day. And by following those principles, he said, by 17 years old, you world champion, right? And I learned at that age, what does it take to be the best at anything you choose to do? And that's 110%, right? And as for me as a 13, I didn't do the parties or whatever friends or whatever most teenagers do. I, you know, I did correspondence and I didn't train seven days a week, twice a day. I trained seven days a week, three times a day. But by following that principle, lasering in and focus 110%, you know, I was a provincial champion, two-time national champion, North American champion. And as Alan Chen predicted, at the age of 17 years old, I was undefeated champion of the world. And that's what I learned. What does it take to be the best at anything you choose to do? That's 110%. 
there is today a lot of sort of focus on habits. How do we sort of acquire good habits? How do we pursue excellence in any domain? There's a lot of psychological literature that's starting to come out on it. And I think people are questing, people are aspiring. There is a growing awareness that our brain is plastic and that with the right diligence and effort that we can actually, you know, choose to sculpt it in new ways. And you are a living, you know, again, just testament to that. But I also know how for most people, it's really hard to give up their current lifestyle and to uh, not fall for a certain, you know, instant gratification urge or something. So in your case, this kind of laser sharp focused discipline, is it something that you feel has come quite naturally to you? Or are there any practices that you might uh, perhaps share, you know, the spirit of sort of helping inspire and guide others who may struggle at times uh, between kind of the person they want to be and uh, the comfort zone that they're living in today? Well, I think that's the issue is, is um, people are afraid to come out of their comfort zone, right? Because they don't know what the unknown is. And I think, again, we talk about failure, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm saying not prepare for it, but you know, or not, don't expect it, but prepare for it, right? Like when I go into something, I know it's going to be a hard struggle. And I know there may be some downfalls and I know, you know, I might, you know, hit rock bottom at times, but the, the strength comes when you're able to come out of that. And that's what builds character, you know, and that's what makes you a strong individual. It's not the easy road up because in to succeed in anything, there is no easy road. You know, you tell me one person who had it easy doing anything that they pursued. It doesn't exist. Right. And I think for me is going through those experiences at a young age and learning what does it feel like to fail, but work really hard and then succeed. Like, for example, like, you know, if I wanted to do something or go somewhere, my dad just didn't give me like five or $10, which is like $100 for a little kid, I had to go and work. So I got I did newspaper delivered newspapers or flyers or whatever. And when I remember getting my first check and feeling, wow, I did this on my own without the help of anyone else, right? It gives you that strength of independence, right? And then that just starts building as you go in through life, right? As again, we talk about coddling people or always, you know, patting people on the back. You know, we talk about sometimes tough love is the best thing you can do, even for an adult, right? You know, sometimes we need a little slap in the face saying life isn't always easy and it's going to be difficult, right? But be prepared for it. But that's what makes people strong. That's what gives you the strength, I think, is those failures in those hard times. It's not the good times. The good times is just the bonus at the end yeah my spiritual teacher yogananda he says you know he says uh, a smooth life is not a victorious life and i see that so much <laughs> in the way you live your life <laughs> absolutely yeah if it's smooth uphill it's going to be smooth downhill as well oh, right yeah <laughs> you know you, you speak in, in in your book you know uh, about how uh, you say physical mental and spiritual you know, that's the, um, you know, the mix that you really emphasize, right? And uh, I, I'm just curious that when you talk about this notion of a worthwhile life, you know, requiring movement, both physically, mentally, and spiritually, you know, to exercise, to challenge, and to change. You've emphasized in our conversation so far, the power of mind over matter, so to say, that, you know, what you have been able to achieve physically has really been based on what was there upstairs, you know, in the mind. Right. What, what is your relationship with spirituality? Well, I mean, huh, it kind of evolved a little bit. I mean, in the beginning, when I was younger, I was quite actually religious. You know? But I think it, it kind of changed, right? I mean, I think religion for me, you know, way back when it was based on what other people's beliefs are, and them trying to push things on to me, right? And I realized that, we know what's good, what feels good to you, right? What makes you feel happy by helping others? And, you know, you don't need that coming from anyone else, right? You don't have to validate whatever, you know, I'm religious and I'm good because I go to a synagogue, I go to a church, I go to a mosque or whatever. We know what it takes to be a good person, right? And that, you know, and I started to learn that as I was, you know, as I was, you know, started to grow up, you know, I lived in the most religious country in the world. And all I saw is a lot of violence and, you know, and dealing with religion and stuff like that. I go, this is not what it's about. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I don't really, you know, advertise, you know, my spirituality or whatever. I just know that what, for me, what feels good when I do good things, when I help others, I love being in nature. People don't know <laughs> that I love being by myself. Right. And just away from all the chaos and everything else. Right. Cause we all have that seed in us and we know what's good and what's not good. We don't need anyone else telling us. Right. And I think living by that, living that, you know, what, what's in your heart is the most important, right? And everything else doesn't matter. Because like, as I said, you know, religion is in all of us and the spirituality is in all of us. It's a matter of, you know, how we want to use it for strength 
and by helping others, right? And I think too, it just comes within. It's a very, it's a very personal thing, and I think it means different things to different people. Yeah, no, I like that very much. Uh, I think if I were to unpack that, what I'm hearing from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, a you're saying it's a very personal journey. It doesn't necessarily have to be mediated by any institution or any formal formal religion. It could for some people, but it may not be for others. Right. And that there are certain practices, like in your case, you know, solitude, maybe mm-hmm. making some time for yourself, and then in nature, being in nature, which tend to activate a little bit more of that subtler inkling or voice, you know, from within. I'm hearing that Absolutely, from you. Absolutely, yes. It grounds you for sure. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm a huge, people know me, I'm a huge animal lover. I have two dogs. And the best part of my day is when I wake up in the morning and I live in Vernon, so it's very beautiful, mountainous here. When we go into the trails, there's nobody there. We might run into a bear or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's like, it's just this Kickstarter of the day, you know? And, yeah. and for me, it's, it's the most important part. And it's what I love and what I'll always do till the day I die. So beautiful. It grounds you, isn't it? Like when you're Absolutely. able to make that little yeah. time for yourself at yeah. the very beginning of the day. And dogs are a very special, a very special animal. I mean, I, I've just been, you know, just observing them uh, in the last several years in the following sense that when you think about most species, right? Like yeah. they tend to want to hang out with more of their own species. You know, they might like yeah. enjoy a little bit some other species for right. a bit of time, but they kind of want to hang out with their own kind, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Dogs are really unique that way. You know, they'll go and yeah. play with another dog for like two minutes, but then they want to yeah. go back to their master, you know. Yeah, just, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's such an unconditional love. They just have such yeah, an unconditional love. This yeah. person could be a messy person, could be a yeah. caring person or an uncaring yeah. person, whatever. They just have this unconditional love. And yeah. their affinity with human beings is amazing. Absolutely. And also their instinct too, when you're not feeling well or you're not happy or excited about something or anxiety about, you know, about an issue that happened, they're just so intuitive with you, you know? And then yeah. like I said, I'm, I mean, with any animal, really, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, I think yeah, I would yeah, yeah. be uh, <laughs> in a sanctuary yeah. if I didn't do what I'm doing. Right. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I've always had dogs. I can't imagine my life without an, without an animal. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. I have the same affection for animals and I've actually had it all through my life. And uh, one of the high points for me in that experience uh, came when I and my family had a chance to go to Botswana, you know, which we've then done oh, twice. Okay. And uh, of course, you know, that took uh, our, you know, kind of just exposure to the, uh, the wildlife and animals to a whole different level. So yeah, so beautiful, so beautiful. Coming back to the spirituality side then, I think, uh, you know, I, I want to just kind of invite you to help unpack a little bit your inner life, not in a way that in any way, you know, invades a very sacred and private space for you, but in a way that informs and guides the way you pursue, you know, success in life, which is, you know, you talk about mind over matter. Mm-hmm. I, sometimes for me, it's helpful to really have a very fluid sense of my identity, where sometimes I see myself in the physical, you know, uh, space. And I have to take very practical stock of my strengths and weaknesses or, you know, what my current situation is in terms of health or what have you, stamina, what have you. Sometimes in the mental space, which is, you know, all these mindsets and beliefs and convictions that I may have. But then sometimes just purely as this notion of, and I want to test this idea with you of just like pure spirit, you know, a timeless, changeless, pure, constantly renewing you know, unconditionally peaceful part of who I am. I don't know. Is that a relationship that um, speaks to you or, or, you know, or or is that too little, too abstract? I mean, I think for me, you know, I'm just a very simple person, to be honest with you, right? You know what I mean? I don't dive deep into really into anything. I kind of stay on the surface. I'm careful with what I say, you know what I mean? Sometimes it comes across as maybe too harsh or misunderstood or whatnot. You know, people know me that I'm a very independent individual I'm not super social, you know, butterfly or, or whatnot, right? But but I think for me too is again is just learning to love life um, and not to dwell on the past. You know, when I talk to a lot of high risk youth, I said, you know, your future doesn't dictate your path. And I think we hang on to a lot of bad things that happen to us, and we live our life by it like that. You know, like you have to use it as strength, not as you know direction when we've had a hardships in our life. And I think that's a lot of downfall for a, for a lot of people, a lot of young people in particular, right? You know, yeah. is that you know we are here. This is a one time deal, man. We don't get second chances, and you have to make every day count, and you have to love your day, you have to love yourself, you have to love life. And, and if you're not, and if you're waking up with always, you know, bickering and negative or whatever, which comes a lot, I hear it a lot, you know, it's not going to help you and it's not going to c- fulfill your soul. It's not going to fulfill your life. And I think at some point we have to, you know, park things 
and just remember why we're here and appreciate it. And just, you know, big thing is volunteering, helping others. Like I just discovered that, like why I speak, I don't feel comfortable, you know, you know, standing in front of thousands or hundreds of people. But for me, what it was, was the feedback after people coming up and saying, you know what, there was something you said that I just needed to hear. Right. And being responsible for helping others in a positive way was a feeling I had never experienced doing anything else for myself. Right. You know, and that's the reasons why I do this, you know. And so when you're going to that direction, when I say, you know, trying new things that make you feel uncomfortable, we should because you never know where it's going to take you. So I think that's the biggest kind of message that I want to say is don't hold on to those negative things. Right. They will haunt you till the day you die. You got to park that, use it as strength and learn it or take it to help others. And the fulfillment will be it's undescribable how you'll feel when you reach that kind of direction of the positivity opposed to the negativity. In life, because yeah. we've all gone through difficult times. We all have. You're not the only one, right? And so just reflecting on, you know, who you are, what you're doing, and where, where do you want to end up, you know? Because, you know, my grandmother said to me the biggest impact when she was sitting on her deathbed, she said, you never want to say the words, I wish, or what if. And that stuck to me really strong, is doing the things that you love and not letting anything get in your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you have achieved... Uh, so much in yeah just a short space of a few decades and right here in the way we are talking today i see one of the secrets to that which is that you don't waste any time you know you um you know honor uh, you know the gift of every second and moment that comes to you and part of it is not wallowing like you said in anything in the past which is not going to help inform or inspire you you know to create a better future for yourself and others and and, and that's right. so beautiful that that capacity and the discipline with a laser sharp mind not to waste any moment of your life absolutely yeah i mean listen like i said it's you know it's just, this is it for us this is our life right you can't sit there and wait for things to happen because you're going to be yeah. sitting there for a very long time you got to take that step and make things happen for yourself right and that you know that takes takes courage but once you get into that pattern you go wow this is what life is all about and it'll be so much more fulfilling than just sitting there and watch the time goes by, you know. And I hate that too, you know, when we use age as an excuse, right? You don't sit there and wait to die, right? You yeah. live every moment like it's your last day. And it's so much more fulfill- fulfilling, like doing things for yourself than watching other people do great things. You do right. great things, right? Because there's so many things that we can do that we don't because we're so afraid. And age is a big part of it. It doesn't mean that stupid number that means nothing. Honestly, yeah. I stopped counting how old I was when I got kind of into my mid-30s. People would ask me. And I just throw out a number. I don't know, I'm 33, 35, 36. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, <don't care>. <laughs> I mean, even I now, I know, I'm in 1969. That. That's when I was born. Whatever age that is, that's good. Because I don't do all yeah. that. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. It really doesn't. I love it. Ah, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. In in the so this is the book that Leah has written, No Limits. At the beginning of the very first chapter, Oceanside, California, you talk about how you say, uh, there's the quote that you're sharing. One day your life will flash before your eyes. Make sure it's worth watching. And I think Absolutely. I'm hearing you speak so much about how look, it's really important for each of us to make sure it's worth watching, right? That Absolutely. the way that we live our life is, is, is that, right? Yes. How beautiful. You know this part that you picked up one day, your life will flash before your eyes. I, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there is this research on near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. And I've had one of the preeminent uh, scientists who have studied that field who came to the sh- uh, show, Dr. Bruce Grayson. I, I thought you might find this you know, quite affirming. Uh, so one of the things they found is that for people who have had a brush with death, but also mm-hmm. who have gone into some kind of a unconscious state during that period, and yep. then they've been brought back. Uh, some mm-hmm. of these people have very clear memories of what they experienced all the way through. They actually, mm-hmm. for their own vantage point, never lost consciousness. Although from the physician standpoint of view, they've lost consciousness. Yeah. And I know, Leah, you know, you've gone through a couple of brushes like that in your own case. We want to come back and maybe talk about that. Yeah. And so maybe this, you know, is close to your experience or not. But what they found is that for many of these people, they have very common themes in what they report back later when they're fully alive again as to what that experience was like. And one of those themes is that they talk about the life review. And the life review is that they say that my whole life flashed in front of me. And not just the past that I actually consciously remember, even the things, the small little details that I may have consciously forgotten over the years, going back all the way. 
they yeah. actually flash in front of me as if it was like a movie of my life without judgment but it was like playing in front of me and it's a little bit of a time illusion because they may have been unconscious let's say only for 30 minutes but they actually feel like they experienced the whole life yeah yeah so quite you know, literally what you said yeah you know i've heard the same kind of you know recollections of many people who've gone through that same kind of experience right you know like that i mean i've I don't know if I've whatever I mean at one point in 2005 I think I've had the mother of all crashes when I was in a race and I landed on my face at like 85 kilometers an hour which basically it ripped up you know the bottom part of my face my arm was broken dislocated back there from the friction of the fall my first layer of skin I mean most of my bones were broken and as I was lying there it was this was in Oregon I didn't think I was going to make it I thought you know this is it this was it for me and I remember trying to hold pieces of my face and Um, but obviously you know I woke up in a hospital and in the trauma unit and I was is very lucky and then I realized then is how you know precious life really is and it it changed me at that point is is the importance of of living that life you know that at the end you can say you know what I did have a good life and I did great things and I am content right when that time comes and I think it's very important and going through those, those traumatic experiences you realize how precious life really is this is make me a little bit sort of heavy hearted you know we have just over the last week lost uh, a very very dear person in in a human i don't know if you knew hillary nelson is an ace mountaineer one of the preeminent oh. you know women mountaineers and she went to nepal recently with a partner and um, yeah. yeah you know basically i heard uh, about that yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had her on the show about a year and a half ago and um Uh, I was going back and uh, revisiting that conversation I had with a beautiful soul, beautiful soul, really mm-hmm. questing, you know, just like you for for so much in so many beautiful ways. And uh, you know what she was just sharing here is almost exactly, you know, her words in in, in that podcast where she talks about how, you know, she lost, uh, you know, a dear dear friend, and uh, you know, who passed away unexpectedly. And through that, one of the key things she learned was like death is kind of like just out there. You know, it's just out there and can come to you anytime, anywhere. And so you might as well just like accept that and now live life to its fullest. Absolutely, yes. I I a hundred percent agree with that comment and that statement. Yes, yeah. how I live my life because life is precious, right? You know, we don't realize how precious it is, right? And yeah. especially you know, for us individuals who have. a healthy normal life that we are extra you know and live in a great country mm-hmm. that gives us the freedom to do the things that we want to do i i think a lot of times we don't realize how lucky we are compared to other people and i think sometimes you know as again hearing other people storing what they've gone through it'll ground you saying holy crap you know i am lucky i have to have a good life and there's so many things that i can do it's a choice right you know what i mean especially in the position that we're all here in north america in particular and in most of us in the world you know of what you want to do and you can't blame anybody else but yourself right and we're really yeah. good at blaming everything else or those past experiences that have happened to us right as i said you're not the only one on that boat right it's a matter of your choice and how you want to live your life and if you choose to do nothing then zip it nobody wants to hear about it right <laughs> what i mean they want yeah. to hear about the good things and the struggles and that'll make you a superstar no matter how many times you've hit rock bottom you coming out of it makes anybody a superstar ah uh, yeah so 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 powerful i mean i think what i'm hearing from you in some ways is an invitation to us to challenge some of the just formulaic ways in which we have been told like we can pursue happiness you know the formula is you know try to aspire for the good life you know wake up have a you know good tasteful meal go out and do stimulating work come back relax chill out with your friends go party have a great dinner come back and go to sleep and then wake up in the morning do the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again and try to do it for as long as you can exactly exactly that's a good life And right. you think well, wait a second like did you actually live in that life the way Right exactly or, or you're just dwelling on the things you know you focus on the bad things right what about all the great things that are way overpowering right why don't yeah. we focus on that rather than every time you meet somebody oh this is what i went through and whatever you know but what about this is what i went through but look at me now look what i'm doing after going through all that what why don't we go on that direction opposed to just sitting down here right because it'll always stay you you know bring you down yeah. you know that saying yeah. that one, one bad apple makes it the, the whole room shut down right you know what i mean yeah. but i mean yeah. it, that's that's all it takes nobody wants to hang around that one person right but it's a matter yeah. like i said it's a choice you can change anything right and for you it's your mentality like you think about it if you had to meet somebody with that same kind of attitude 
that's not what you want, right? You want to do great things and be positive and say great things that's uplifting, not something that's going to just bury you down. And that's the thing. Once you try that, like, you know, again, people are dwelling, like do a list of all the bad things in your life, then do things and all the good things in your life. And I can promise you it'll outweigh anything, right? And that's the focus. It has to be on the positive because that's the only way it's going to change. It's what's going on upstairs. No one's going to help you do it. It's a matter of coming from within. It's, it's you're going to do it, right? You know, sometimes, you know, when they, they call that I'm this, you know, motivational speaker or whatever, right? It's not a matter of me motivating. It's you. It's you hearing the words coming out of my mouth. It's not coming from me, right? Like I, when I go into a room and I can motivate you for that moment, I don't care about that moment. I want that moment to last a year down the road. I want that motivation to exist, not just, you know, after you hear me for whatever, an hour, right? And that's the focus is how you're doing a year from now. Can you keep that rolling? And that's the struggle. And that's the importance for me when I do presentations. I want to see what did you do with what you've learned from what the things that I've said? How has that changed your life in a positive way? Not just for a week or a month, but a year, years. So this is where our paths start to converge. I'm so inspired to hear that because, you know, in my role as a teacher and a trainer, I mean, you know, similar to you, I'm very drawn to the idea of helping people advance to their, you know, to their ideal self, to their best self. And, you know, there are two lessons that you've talked about here, which really echo things I've, you know, I guess, stumble into as well. The first is that you don't do anything as a teacher. It's basically they who get sparked from within. And it's the Absolutely. audience that gets to recognize and see what truths they want to see in your message. And often they'll be the ones who will inspire you then with uh, the path that they take on. And and then the other is, I remember the one time when, you know, I was blessed to be able to get like good ratings, you know, for my class and students were loving it and all of that. And then I remember having this flash sometimes in me that, Hitendra, this is kind of like a Broadway show. You know, you're yeah. going in there. There's a little bit of upliftment and surge and excitement, whatever, joy. But six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, you know, was there any like lasting positive change, you know, that was brought forth by this? And if so, great. If not, then this is this is a Broadway show. But right. I want to be a teacher. I want to be an elevator of like, you know, humanity right. in a way which is more sustainable. Right. And so I'd love, you know, thoughts and ideas you may have for those of us who are striving to be, you know, really good coaches, you know, at work, you know, with our teams or parents at home with our kids or trainers or inspirational speakers or what have you, right? And any or all of us are put into that place from time to time where we want to help support other people's growth. What have you found in that, you know, uh, work, which um, I'm, I'm guessing is uh, an increasing part, yeah, of your career? Is that right? Like, are you doing yeah. more of that? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the biggest uplifting as any coach leader, as you know, is when you get the feedback. I mean, like just yesterday, I got a text message from a good friend of mine who, you know, she's struggling with her godson who's 21 years old and he's just, you know, doesn't know his direction, whatnot. And then she just said, read the book. So she gave him my, my autobiography, my book, and she said he's, it's completely transformed him. Right. Which is it's huge, you know, that's the most uplifting mm. thing. Like I said, yeah. it's the greatest feeling than winning any race or setting records or whatnot, right? Again, is when you're when you're helping others, right? And I think yeah. that's what strives us as leaders and coaches and speakers and whatnot is seeing what, what it does to people, right? How it changes lives, right? And that's the biggest motivator. And again, that's what keeps me going, right? Again, I never feel, I still don't feel comfortable, you know, standing on those stages with all these people and stuff. But again, it's the feedback that makes it worth it, right? And it's something that I had never felt doing anything else. And it's worth it, you know, for my uncomfortableness, whatever, for an hour is worth, you know, helping possibly even one, two, 10, 100 people. It's well worth it. Beautiful. You know, what I see there is a little bit of this closing of the loop that is happening where in the early part of your story, you talked about these six or seven bullies and how they were really the one who were holding all the energy. And, you, you know, you were the one who was getting victimized and beaten up yeah. a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and then and then you take the energy, you know, and you activate it within. And a lot of your life has been about this personal quest, you know, for excellence right. and for overcoming, you know, challenges and what have you. And now it's as if like, you're taking a fresh look at the environment, at the world around you, and you're activating that energy in everybody. It's like a multiplier that is happening, you know, going from just beyond you into celebrating that, that like activation of the inner Leah in everybody. Well, I would hope so, right? I mean, that's the goal. It would be such a better world if we were all way more positive and loving and caring to each other than aggression and this road rage and violence. And I don't know, it just feels like we've been coming so 
closed up and not, you know, just caring about ourselves, right? Like really stupid examples, you know, when COVID hit, everybody's going after the toilet paper and whatever, hogging things for themselves. You know, what about your neighbor, the lady who can't, you know, she's in a wheelchair or the man who's, you know, whatever, he doesn't have transportation, but we're so consumed with caring for ourselves and not our neighbors. Right? And I think that's got to change, right? And like, I'm going to be honest, like 30 years ago, 20 years, that wasn't important to me, but it is to me now because I realize how it's so much more harmonized, right? How we are when we do care for others. And there isn't this chaos and this is caring, you know, and this is anxiety and, and aggression, right? And I think that's how we have to be, you know, in perspective too is, you know, care for yourself for sure, love yourself, but care, care for your neighbors as well. You know what I mean? Because it does make a difference. It does. And I'm not trying to to preach or whatever, push things. I'm just saying, just try it and see what it feels like. Like, don't, don't take it from me. Just try it once and you'll see the feeling and how it changes you, it changes your life. And it changes everything. It just makes it more harmonized, right? When you when we live in that kind of environment, and it's on upon you to start it in your circle. Mm-hmm. You know, you're um, reminding me. Uh, it's a very moving thing that you're you know talking about of a story that Mother Teresa would share. You know, she said that uh, one time she heard some news about how uh, there was a very very poor family uh, in the community who had been going hungry, you know, lack of food, you know, for, for a couple of days. And so she cooked some rice and, uh, rushed over, you know, um, to their, to their place, 10, 15 minutes walk away. And she said, she goes in and there's this Hindu family and she gives them this rice, which they're delighted to have. And the mother in that home, she takes half the rice and disappears and then comes back, you know, a few minutes later, uh, and then shares the rest of the rice, the half, you know, with, with the family. And then she inquires and asks what she did with the other half. Did she store it for, you know, them to eat later? Uh, actually, it turns out that uh, she said that um, there was a Muslim family who was their neighbor who was equally hungry and who also hadn't gotten food that Mother Teresa hadn't known about. And so she'd gone and just taken half the rice to yeah. them. And then Mother Teresa says, you know, I had this impulse in that moment to quickly go and get more rice you know, for both families. Yeah. And she said, but then I decided that instead of doing it that time, I would do it in the morning because I wanted to allow this lady to continue to feel that joy, that joy right. of giving. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, so, it's true. It's amazing, right? You know, again, like a lot of times these conversations is not really listened to, right? Because people, ah, you know, whatever, everyone can take care of themselves or whatnot, right? You know? Well, you know, one day you could be in that situation and you'll appreciate that one person, right? And if anything ever happens to you, you won't be forgotten, right? You know, so you never know where your life is going to lead you. You may need that person or that family that is hungry to help you out. So it's all karma and I believe in it. I really do. Yeah, I want to come back and talk more about this chapter of your life. Uh, It seems like it's a powerful yeah, just kind of evolution and growth that continues to happen, you know, in your journey. Before we get there, let's, um, I mean, that, must have been such an epic moment uh, where you had that accident when as part of the bicycle race there were about 14 15 of you that came crashing you know on yes. on the on the highway uh, and uh, and you were i guess i as i understand i mean the one that was below all of them can you maybe just give our audience just a glimpse of what that moment must have felt like and then how is it that you cultivated and practiced the grit that it took to rebuild yourself literally from ground up oh yeah i mean like i said it was well in based in velo news which is one of the biggest cycling magazines in the world it was one of the worst crashes in the history of the sport of course minus people who have passed away that the magnitude of that accident i mean the diagnosis was it was questionable about my ability to walk properly without a walker or a cane but it was unquestionable that i'd never race again and that's what i was left with i mean honestly i honestly had hit rock bottom at that point in my life you know um, and people say, you know, how did you get out of it? But because it, it was also the worst, one of the worst pains and, you know, I'd ever gone through everything hurt all the time, breathing, blinking, too much light, too much sound. I was bed bound. Right. But again, you know, when you hit rock bottom, if you don't mentally get out of there, you will always stay there. You know, and I basically made a promise to myself that, you know, I don't care how long it's going to take and the kind of pain I go through. I'm going to get back on that bike and I'm going to race again and come back even stronger than I did before this, all this craziness happened. And the point is, you know, when we're faced with this overwhelming situation, you know, we buckle, we freeze, we don't know what to do. So we do nothing. But the point is, you have to start somewhere, even if it seems like it's nowhere. And at that point, the only thing I could do was contract my abs. But every day I did something today that I couldn't do the day before. And being in that positive mode, 
I could feel things starting to bind as, as, as crazy as that might, may sound. I could just feel things happening in my body because I said to myself, I am going to get back on that bike and nothing was going to stop me. I didn't care what I heard, even from the professionals or doctors, nurses, whatever, even psychologists came because they thought, you know, oh, she can go into a depression or whatnot. No, no, sorry, man. I was on a one track mind that I was going to get back on that bike. And I did. I mean, within, I'm going to say eight months, I was already training on the road. Right. And that was just pure determination coming from upstairs and believing in myself and not letting this negative thought, whatever, tearing me down. Because to me, quitting is never option. It's never an option. That is a bolt from the blue. It is just such an incredible story. Both of like what you may have experienced in that moment, what you may have experienced then in the days and weeks, you know, ahead with all that pain that you mentioned you felt in every part of your body. And then and then how you will, you literally will yourself into not just re recovery, but ultimately to a place of re real thriving. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a testament to the capacity of the human body to just biologically be this like magical thing that can actually self-heal given the right patience and determination. And Yeah, I mean, if I believe everything the doctors have told me, you know, I mean, or, or if I absorbed every time somebody said I couldn't do something, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today, right? You know, I mean, if I got a penny for every time somebody said I couldn't do something, I think I'd be a billionaire, right? You know, so I mean, yeah. that's, that's a force for me. Like, you know, I'm going to show you exactly, you know, what I can't do when they say that, you know, and for me, it was my mental ability it was, again, is just being in that positive mode is what allowed me to heal. I mean, don't kid yourself. I had my low moments for sure. It was kind of like a roller coaster ride. But when you dip, you use that momentum, you get back up. That's just how you have to roll it, right? Just don't stay down there. Because again, with any genre that happened in your lifetime, no matter what the situation is, if you're going to stay that rock bottom, you're going to always use that as an excuse for anything else you do in your life. You know what I mean? I mean, I could use that. Okay, I couldn't, I can't do this because in 2005, I had such a crash. And doctors told me that I wouldn't do A, B, or C. And you just hold on to that, right? Because that's like your rock. That's your excuse, right? Screw that. I'm going to determine what I can and can't do. You know, it's going to come from me, not what's coming from you. And that's what I mean. When we want validation from others, it doesn't matter what other people think, you know, only take in the good things, right? And that's it. It's up to you to do the things that you love to heal to whatever it may be. But a lot of times we want that coddling. We talk about the coddling coming from others. You don't need to, you don't need that kind of support system. Again, your biggest support system is you. It's your ability to do the things that you love. It all comes within. It doesn't come from anyone else. Right. And so that's kind of the genre again that, of how I live my life is that it is our choice to do the things that we want. And if you don't do the things that you love, whatever, it's, there's no one to blame but yourself. And when you succeed in the things that you do, no one to blame but yourself. Right. And so, you know, you kind of stay in that mode and you'll be surprised how things will change when you're the one to blame. Right. You have no one else to blame but yourself. Mm, yeah. You know, it's almost that um, that accident happened in part to have you prove to yourself how much more you know powerful you are over the circumstances of your life but then through the storytelling that you're now engaging in it's actually as if through that accident that you had to go through leah i mean all of us are getting you know proof points and all of us are getting inspiration and guidance without having to you know hopefully go through anything close to that in our own lives so there's a multiplicative impact of the value of that pain you went through you know for for the world so thank you for bringing that gift to us yeah are you familiar with the, this poem invictus the invictus the sport yeah. the, the poem the, the, well there's the movie right. you know made on nelson mandela in a particular moment right. in his his life called invictus and then there was a poem that used to inspire him oh, which is okay. what the movie was based on okay um, yeah. So, so th this, is a, this is a poem by, um, you know, a poet called William Henley, who really struggled with uh, a lot of ill health in his life. Manila was very inspired by this poem. He used to have it with him in prison cell. And, uh, you know, I just am remembering the last four lines of this poem because it speaks so much to your nature, you know, to who you are. And uh, William Henley wrote, he said, it matters not how straight the gate uh, gate meaning the entryway into whatever right. you know enlightenment or something it yeah. matters not how narrow it matters now how straight the gate how charged with punishment the scroll i am the master of my fate i am the captain of my soul amen yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> you know it's ringing in my mind as you speak you know as you speak these these thoughts are coming to my mind and i want to ask you who's the in a sense like the william henley for you like so mandela 
talked about how much this poem really helped him, you know, during his dark times. And I'm curious, you know, you speak with such force and conviction and inner direction. And it may be that really that is the most pivotal guide, coach, mentor for you is just your own inner voice. It used to be your parents at an earlier age in your life. But in your adult life, like over time, have there been, I guess, individuals living or dead or other forces that you've turned to during some of your darkest you know, moments? Believe it or not, it's my parents. I mean, they mm. were always there for me. Good times, bad times. They were equally happy when I didn't do good in races or anything I wanted to do to when I did great, you know. They were my rock. They were so supportive at anything I chose to do, right, you know. And so they're my heroes and both both my mom and dad. Like I'm really close to my mom is my best friend. She always is, always will be, right? Just living and growing up with that kind of influence, right? And having that, I mean, I'm so lucky. I, you know, I am so blessed to have such supportive parents to this day. You know, they are, I talk to them every day. They're always supportive. They, my mother has never said no to me, right? You know, even when I was a kid, she wanted me to experience everything. You know, even when she knew that I was horrible at something, she goes, you're going to be great, right? You know, just experience yeah. and see what it's like and not, you know, kind of enclose me. But, and again, with my father, with the independence, you know, at the times I, I disliked him as we're little kids. Oh, I hate my dad or whatever. But I'm so grateful with the way he raised, you know, both my sister and I, because we are the way we are because of them. And I'm very fortunate to have them as my role models. They again they were when I was a little kid you know when I was 10 and they are when I'm in my 50s so I'm very lucky how nice how beautiful well can you just like when you talk to them next just let them know how the world uh, that you engage with now you know is very thankful to them for all that they've done to make you who you are because uh, right. I do feel just uh, welling up from within of just a great sense of gratitude you know to them I feel blessed to have had um parents who have had a similar, you know, very marked influence in, on, on my life. And um, uh, therefore, to hear that from you and to see that as something that even till today, you know, continues to be a force for you is like so heartwarming, so beautiful. Um, yes, thank you. I will let great. them know for sure. <laughs> thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, Leah, in, in, in the last few minutes, maybe we can talk then about the new chapter that is unfolding for you. I mean, there's so much that we could keep unpacking in, in your life. Right. And I've had to be very disciplined and selective in the uh, forays that we made here today in the confines of time that we have and what is such an encyclopedic journey that yeah. you've taken in life. And one of the things that's really special about it is the just uh, reinvention that you keep going through, you know, every every decade or two uh, with uh, what you pursue next. Um, and so uh, with where you are today, you know, where is your athletic career going? And it sounds like more and more you're getting invested in wanting to help support and serve the world, um, you know, through through your principles and ideas. Can you can you talk a little bit about sort of what's your big dream, you know, over the next 10 years? Um, well, I mean, we're, as okay, my speaking career has kind of um, exploded a little bit, right? So I'm very fortunate enough to have the opportunity again to share my story with many genres, you know, um, different, you know, uh, areas of life, different disciplines, speaking with kids, high risk youth, very heart fulfilling for me, especially, because that's where it stems, right? You know, with those kids that have, a, uh, that didn't have fortunate, you know, lifestyles as I did, or many of us did as children. So right. being there for them is very, very fulfilling for me that I've been involved many years. And we're also working on a documentary that should be released in the next couple of months. Oh, right? lovely. Yeah. So that's kind of the next project. And I think the biggest one for me, though, is Race Across America is not done. I mean, I have, you know, I've won the whole thing. And I've, uh, you know, I've done it three times completed a very good results. For me, the goal is that to kind of come close to the 10 days. And I still oh, feel wow. that I have the potential to do that. Uh -huh. um, so that's kind of the next thing as, a, as an athlete, you kind of, you know, I'm going to try and do that in the next couple of years, for sure. So if all goes well, that's kind of the goal for next year. Is to, to go into Race Across America at my age and see what we can do. Wow, God bless you. You know, keep keep going on that. Uh, it's incredible to hear. And so what is your record so far? I know it's been like, what, 11 days? In no, actually, 10, 10 days, 18 hours, I believe, is my the best I've done. So we want to cut out that 18 hours <laughs> <somehow>. <laughs> we'll yeah. see what happens right you know yeah. i i you know believe in my heart that i can i mean i'm willing to do the work for it but of course with with race across america you know mother nature plays a huge role right if it's too you know 
I mean, in the heat dome or the race that I won, we had the heat dome where it was 50 Celsius or 120 Fahrenheit for Americans, you know, throughout the whole race, almost like right across the country. So in conditions like that, it's very hard to ride hard, you know, when you're, you're racing in such extreme heat. But then again, you know, in 2019, we hit rain storms and whatnot, uh, cold temperatures. So, you know, it depends how the cards fold out for you, right? I mean, you have to have a little bit of luck, not only just, you know, the great physical part. So we're keeping our fingers crossed. We have a good good set of cards, a good deck on our hand when we go after uh, Race Cross yeah, America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> great. Wishing you well, both with the documentary and with this uh, next Thank quest uh, to continue to advance, you know, yeah, your physical accomplishments. What is your fondest memory in life my fondest memory in life oh my gosh i have so many i think this is going to sound kind of weird but you know when i went into kickboxing my father was not a fan he didn't want his daughter looking like a boxer so he didn't come to any of my fights or whatnot whatever um but the biggest fight i had was against an american fighter and he actually just came to my corner and was with my coach kind of guiding me and telling me how to fight it and i it was just a very heartfelling moment because I was so obsessed with the sport and my father was so against it. Right. And just having him stand in my corner, you know what I mean? Or be in my corner was something that he so did not want me to do. Right. But he finally just cracked and said, okay, she loves it. She's good at it. Wow. And I'm going to show her that I'm going to be there. So that, I mean, you know, for me, it was a moment that I probably will never forget. Oh, that's so sweet. And uh, yeah. you must've been what? 12, 13, 14? What, what age? Oh, were you? I was like 14 years old, barely. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, I was fighting wow. a 28-year-old, whatever. She was like, you know, six foot seven. It was a totally mixed match. It was not a good, you know, sometimes there's kind of crazy things that happen in that sport because they, you know, they wanted to see a knockout or whatever. But yeah, so that was kind of, those kind of memories of having that, you know, because I've little, little struggles a lot with my father, the things that I wanted to do. Because, you know, growing up in a Jewish household, you're expected to be a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the direction that I took wasn't that conventional in our, you know, in our traditions, right? So, you know, and I think he finally kind of was supportive of the things that I wanted to do. It was a big breaking point. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, that's... Uh... Such a powerful lesson in how sometimes there are these perhaps like small moments and small decisions and behaviors and yeah. choices that we don't realize, but it may be having a lifelong impact on somebody's life, you know, Absolutely. like what, what he did in that moment, perhaps for him, it was just whatever impulsive or he just moved to do it in that moment. And maybe yeah. he, I don't know, forgot about it a year later or something, but here yeah. you are still remembering it today. So, so oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's because yeah. my parents are both so important to me in my life. Right. And, I want their validation. I want their support. It's important for me, right? So for me, that was like, you know, the best thing in the world. And those little memories that happen like that, you, you just, you don't forget them. I would really love to have us conclude by having you, of all the work that you have done to bring principles and insights and inspiration to others from what you have lived and experienced in your own life. If you could offer like one wish, what is what is the one thing which you may invite and hope and aspire for all of us that, hey, folks out there from, from my life, like here is one thing that if you could just take on, embrace and make your own, I know beautiful things are going to happen. Well, I mean, I think for me, I think what's important is that if you do have the ability to get back up every time, get punched, kicked, shoved, knocked down, you get back up and you keep moving forward, then your possibilities of achievement, success, happiness, if anything you want are truly endless. And I think mm -hmm. just remembering that is just living a life to the fullest, as you said earlier, and loving yourself and loving life. Mm -hmm. And don't mm -hmm. dwell on the past or bad experiences. Those are used for strength. It's not the way you lead your life. Yeah, so beautiful. So beautiful. On that note, as we bring this to closure, I want to share that on the one hand, you know, I see a lot of, you know, ferocity and discipline and you know, hard work and mental strength and all of these amazing qualities that you are celebrating, affirming, practicing, you know, showing us what they can do. Uh, and at the same time, I feel a great sense of love arising from within you, expressing itself and everything that you've shared, a love for life, a love for making every moment matter, a love for this romance between like, who am I at my core? What's my like fullest potential? What is it that I can manifest in the world? And then ultimately love that is growing and growing and growing into 
wanting to help others as well, you know, in their own quest to be the best versions of themselves and honoring that spirit that lies, you know, within each of them as well. You know, that's what I see your life as, Leah. And it is really leaving me with the feeling of great upliftment, you know, right in this moment. So thank you for all you do. And, you know, you're, you're, you're living so many really powerful truths and, um, and uh, inviting us to live them as well, for which I'm, I'm really grateful. Uh, wishing you, wishing you all the best and every other quest that you take on from here, you know, till that moment where finally, you know, like all of us, life, life has to come to close. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Yes, thank you so much. It was a very real pleasure having a conversation with you today. Thank you so much.